Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to another episode of AMTV Radio. This is the podcast where I'm joined by a very special guest each time and we discuss, well, whatever we want to really. And in this special episode we have, well, my special guest for today is YouTuber Beware. Beware, thank you for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, dude. Not a problem. Now, I've been, uh, I was aware of your channel. I think the first video that popped up in my recommended was your video uh, saying why Peter Capaldi, in your opinion, is the, the best doctor, if I'm correct. Yes, that is yes. what it was, yeah. And I watched it because I'm I'm also, I'm a big Capaldi fan and he's personally my favorite actor to take on the role and series eight is personally my favorite season of the of the revival era. But we'll talk more about that later. Um, before we get into, because we've already talked on Twitter and we've got some things planned we want to talk about. But before we do that, do you want to just let the audience know, those who might not be aware of you and your channel, uh, just kind of the work you do, what sort of videos you put out there? Yeah, yeah. So uh, really broadly, I describe myself as narrative analysis. And mm -hmm. what that really means is I talk about stuff that I like, why it's good and how it could be better. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I talk I, I talk a lot about Doctor Who, but I also do, you know, like Marvel, DC, a whole bunch of anime stuff. Um, mm. And my current my current big project is and we'll get into this. <laughs> I'm not course, a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan of series 11 or 12. And so I'm completely remaking them as audio dramas mm. uh, with a team of fans. Yeah. Yeah. And the first one, I believe, just came out at the time we we're recording this. It dropped yesterday, didn't it? The first episode. Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I gave it, um, I haven't, I've been doing a lot of things today, but I managed to listen to the first 10 minutes before I had to shoot off. And to be honest, I was really enjoying what I was hearing. I enjoy the production. I enjoy the actors you've got taking part in it. And I enjoy the writing. So for anyone listening who may have been a bit, you know, dissatisfied with the Chibnall era so far, definitely go and check that out on Beware's channel. But as you say, we can talk more about that a bit later on. Because of course, the main talking point, as we discussed on Twitter, we're going to talk about the Chibnall era. And I think specifically first, we should talk about the timeless children or everybody's favorite as i like to call it because <laughs> everyone loves the timeless children right <laughs> no um so i mean obviously i think a lot of people know already when it debuted you know it pretty much divided the fandom even more than the fandom already is arguably um me personally i'm in the camp that enjoyed it for the most part it wasn't perfect there were things i would change but i enjoyed the episode for what it was and as you stated, I believe you're not in that camp. And just to open the floor, so to speak, would you like to explain why? Uh, yeah. So really quick, like a disclaimer, um, mm. everything up to the Timeless Children I didn't like under Chibnall's run, mm -hmm. but I was I was able to accept it. Like, it's just, you know, Doctor Who has been good. It's been bad. I'm not really, you know, upset or anything. Mm. I really, really hated the Timeless Children. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I can, I actually, so my, you said you, you found me from my Peter Capaldi video. That's my most, that's my most popular. My second most popular is a 20 minute rant where I break down every <laughs> single reason why the Timeless Children doesn't work. That's fair. Um, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> and I should say before I have like a little tiny checklist of like four major things that I don't like about it. Mm -hmm. um, if you enjoy it, you know, it's like, it's, it's subjective whether or not you enjoy it. That's oh, not something uh, yeah, I can yeah, say you're wrong about. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think there are objective flaws in it that we can, mm -hmm. you know, break into. But yeah, like I, I don't hold any ill will if you like it. No, no, Just no, of course. To... And I think that's what, again, to anyone listening, what, well, what I've tried to do on this podcast when I'm debating guests about things is like, you know, we might have different opinions, but the point of this whole thing is that we can, you know, we can hear each other. Nothing's being misconstrued. You know, we're listening to each other's opinions. And just because, you know, sometimes on social media, I think when it's just text, it can get a bit nasty quite quickly 
because there's that barrier, so to speak. So, so yeah, it's just going to be an open floor. And yeah, do you want to kick off with whatever point you like? Let's get into it. I'm, I'm in the zone now. I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay, all right. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say the first points and then we can argue them one by one. So the sure, sure. the first point I have is that it has a ton of plot holes. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the second plot hole it takes away the doctor's agency. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the third problem it changed a lot but nothing at all. Mm-hmm. And then the fourth one it's an origin story. So those are all problems I have with it. <clears throat> okay, sure. The first one we can talk about uh, <laughs> the plot holes. So. Yeah. When I made this video, I, I made the mistake of trying to find as many as I could through the whole canon, and the very first one I touch on is the Valyard, which was a dumb decision on my part, because oh, that doesn't yeah. fit with anything. Um, <laughs> but I think there's there's a much more concrete way that we can probably agree on how it doesn't make sense. So okay. um, first you have to answer, does the Doctor have infinite regenerations or not? Mm-hmm. Right? We, yep. we're, we're not sure. Mm-hmm. If she does or if she doesn't, it doesn't make sense either way. So... If she does have infinite regenerations, how did the 11th Doctor run out in time of sure. the Doctor? Yep. Um, and then if she does, the, uh, if or I'm sorry, if the Time Lord somehow restricted that ability of the Timeless Child so she doesn't have infinite regenerations, then who is Ruth as the Doctor? Yes. Because some people say she would fit between the second and third Doctor. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is that would mean the Doctor has to have more than 13 regenerations. Mm-hmm. But if she came before Hartnell, then you have to explain why her TARDIS looks like like a police box, which yeah. also doesn't make any sense. So if no matter how you look at it, the addition of the Timeless Children, it does not fit cleanly in the canon. Like, you cannot explain it. That's my yeah. first major problem. Yes, and I think uh, in terms of how you put it, on, on that sense, to some extent, I agree, because I was in the camp where the second avenue, you said, you know, with the whole thing of... Uh, somehow Tech Tayoon found a way to initially restrict the Timeless Child's, you know, limited mm-hmm. regenerations down to 12. So you could argue, forgetting Joe Martin for a minute, you know, the whole thing with Matt Smith being the last incarnation, th- you know, that fits to start with. But I completely agree with you. The only flaw for me in that theory is the whole presence of the Joe Martin Doctor, basically. You know, as you say, does, is it between two and three? But then that throws that off. So yeah, I'm. I'm. I agree with you. That's good. We're agreeing so far. That's good. But yeah, I am. Um, I definitely agree with you on that sense. How it doesn't make sense purely because Joe Martin is the roadblock for me. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. If she wasn't there, I'd be like, okay, this is it. You know, she had unlimited tech to him, restricted it, and then the Time Lords or whoever gave it back at the end of Matt Smith's time. That'd be fine. But yeah, the Joe Martin Doctor for me at least is the big roadblock so yes i agree with you there hugely also for me with the plot hole thing did you make much sense of this whole thing with the division i well that's another thing that i really don't like um but the the division seems like uh it's antithetical to everything that the time lords are they're all about Mm. not interfering right sure so uh what what logistical part of the division's existence are you talking about um, well, I think it was, I sort of got like more towards the end, you know, when the doctor's seeing the guy in Ireland being electrocuted and you could argue it's, it's in theorizing that was the moment when the Time Lords, you know, removed the doctor's past memories of anything pre-Hartnell. But it was more the scene where it's the woman talking to, you know, the two people sort of trying, well, trying to explain what the division is. And I... <laughs> I sort of get it. I, I sort of see it as like a perversion of, you know, the, the CIA, the Celestial Intervention Agency that have been introduced like way, way back. But mm-hmm. I just think the way they try and explain the division is almost like too convoluted for its own good, if that makes sense. 
Like well, they, yeah, go on. Sorry. <laughs> I, no, 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 no. I was just going to say that uh, if you look at this from like a meta standpoint, it's pretty clear Chibnall wanted, he had this timeless child idea and he wanted to do it. He took it to the BBC and they said, that's great. Let's also do this division thing so that we can make a spinoff about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> the division very clearly seems to be shoved, shoved in there so we can have a spinoff. That's what it seems like to me. Uh, yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Like, if you take if you take out the bit mentioning the division, you could argue it flows a little bit better. The fact they try mm-hmm. and shoehorn this in in like the span of about three minutes of screen time, like it's a bit like, oh, so so what? You know, I was sort of left like thinking, okay, so what really is this thing, and why? You know, why are we talking about it? It just sort of comes and goes really quickly. Yeah, either the BBC wants to do a spinoff, or it's going to be plot relevant later, because otherwise. It really makes no sense, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That I think there was a lot of the points in The Timeless Children where I found myself saying, okay, they're going to explain that in series 13. Do you know what I mean? Like the whole thing, Joe Martin's Doctor, I thought maybe after Fugitive of the Jadoon, they'd explain really what she was or where she fitted in The Timeless Children. They didn't really do that. So now my brain's sort of like, well, I hope they do it in series 13. And as you say, again, if they don't, then it's kind of like, well, what was the whole point of, of this, really? And then Big Finish will pick up the pieces. So <laughs> <laughs> Big Finish always picks up the pieces. Absolutely. I, I was, was going to say, I guess that's sort of the difference between, you know, the more optimistic and pessimistic fans. I don't mm. have faith that they're going to answer all these questions or fill in okay. these plot holes. Yeah. Um, I, I would if it were, like, still Davies or even maybe Moffat. Moffat answered questions, but he did it with hand waves. But you still yeah. got answers, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Chibnall yeah. seems like he... he He's all about the mystery, and then he sort of like forgets the mystery is even happening some part way through the series, and then someone <laughs> has to remind him. But um, no, but uh, yeah, overall on that first point, as you said, you know, the whole thing about the plot holes of the regenerations of the timeless child, basically. Yes, I agree with you. I'm, I'm more towards that second theory that Tech Taehyung found a way to restrict it. But yes, the Joe Martin Doctor does stand firmly in the way of me being like, eh, well... It's you know it's not a concrete belief. Do you know what I mean? That's the one yeah, I lean yeah. towards, but I can't say it with like a hundred percent confidence. So yeah, I'm with you on that one. Well, I actually had like twelve or so plot holes that I outlined when I made that video, but we don't need to go into all of them. I just <laughs> want to touch on one other one that sure, I think sure. is pretty damning. Mm-hmm. Um, so end of the eleventh Doctor's run, Clara mm-hmm. enters his time stream. Yes. it's not his memories; it's his time stream, and mm-hmm. she doesn't see anyone before Hartnell. You know, so yeah. mm-hmm. where were all of these ten hundred thousand doctors that supposedly <laughs> existed? You know, yeah. Did Clara just see them and then just forget to mention them? No, <laughs> well, um, it's, yeah, it's my... then she also convinces him to take the TARDIS, which apparently, if 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 the Ruth doctors before Hartnell, he should have already had. You know, yeah. so it's yeah. Se- series seven, Clara. Uh, series eight, Clara. On the other hand, no, that's, a, <laughs> that's a, but um. No, uh, my my instant, I must admit, when you mentioned it, I hadn't thought of that outlook. You know, I hadn't put that back in my head about Cloud going in his time stream. My instant thought to that, as you said it, you know how in The Timeless Children, just again, full disclaimer, I rewatched it, you know, before we came on this evening, just to, you know, really get it fresh in my head again. Mm-hmm. Um, could we argue that when, you know, when the master takes the doctor into the Matrix and it's like he had to really dig around to find it, basically, almost like it was locked away uh, like from time lord consciousness if you like by let's call them like you know the supreme elite like the top two or three in the gallifrey and pantheon if you like mm-hmm. is it impossible to reason then that whilst this was locked away during matt smith's time it was somehow in because t- uh, i always assume like time streams are interconnected with the matrix because that's like the repository of 
Time Lord knowledge, experience, whatever. So is it is it unreasonable to assume then, if it was locked away during Matt Smith's time, that that's why it would have been present? Like maybe Clara, it, you know, being completely li- can be sorry, there losing my words here. Sorry, uh, being completely like imaginative here. What if Clara was going to see those doctors, but then came up against some sort of you know mental barrier, wall, whatever you like? Do you know what I mean? Like, is it impossible to assume something like that? So. Uh, I'll, I'll preface by saying this. It's Doctor Who, so you could literally give any answer, and technically, it could yeah, be really stupid, yeah. and it could still be right. I, yeah, my true. problem, my problem with that explanation is you're you're conflating. Well, this is my memory, and mm. memories are what's stored in the Matrix, and this is my time stream, which is like a physical representation of where I have been in my life. Yeah. And I, yeah. I always, I never considered, and I don't think most people have, that these two are somehow the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, if you were a complete amnesiac or you were in a coma your whole life, you would still have a time stream. Yeah. I don't think it's linked to your mind at all. So uh, you could make that, that argument. I would say this. If Chibnall comes out in Series 13 and says that, mm-hmm. that's okay. But okay. if, if it's just, like, fans applying this idea to it to try to make it make sense, then I wouldn't give him the benefit of the doubt for <laughs> no, it. You know sure. what I mean? I'm going to yeah. write to Chris Chibnall right now and give him <laughs> give him this idea. <laughs> but um, no, Something so tells like, me he doesn't listen to fan mail. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. No, I, I, don't think he, I don't think he reads mail full stop, quite frankly. But um, <laughs> isn't it, just for a sidestep, isn't it ironic how we've got that clip of him from the 80s as a fan, like, ripping into the show, <laughs> and now, like, yes. everyone's doing it now, and he's like, what clip are you talking about? I don't know what you mean. Like, it's just so perfect, I think. It's just such a beautiful irony. Yeah, um, a lot of people have used it pretty creatively. I have an idea. I haven't used it yet, but I, I have an idea, and we'll see if I get around to using it in the next year or so. I look forward to it because whenever I watch like a Who video on YouTube that's about like either cri- uh, criticizing Chibnall or just the era, I'm like, where is it? Where's the clip? Where's the ch- Where's the Chibnall clip? And it's coming. You, it's co- Oh, I'll, I'll look. I'll look out for yours. Don't worry. I'm interested in how you use it. But um, yeah. I mean, no, you're right. He doesn't read the mail. But so I get what you mean. Like, yes, I think, to be honest, I think a lot of fans do this. I know I'm guilty of it myself. As you say, when things like don't make sense in Doctor Who, even though it's Doctor Who, it doesn't, you know. But um, I think there is a lot of degree of, you know, that fan level where we do just try and link as tenuous as things as possible just to make it fit. I'll admit that, like... As I said, my knee-jerk reaction to you putting that forward about Clara jumping into his time stream, that is my, you know, knee-jerk, honest-to-God reaction because my brain's probably picking at, you know, the various strands trying to make them connect. I completely agree. So say had Moffat, when he wrote Time of the... Uh, not Time of the... Yeah, uh, Name of the Doctor, when he wrote that, if he had said Clara was jumping into his memory stream, not time stream, would would you, like, have accepted that in retrospect, if you get what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, that would not be one of the plot holes that I'd point out if that were. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah. like trying to make up stuff. No, no, no. Of course not. <laughs> no, no. I know. I, I, I guess I'd put it this way: as fans of the show, we value different things. Like some mm-hmm. people like it because of the lore. Some people just think it's fun and they don't care about you know any of the rules of it. Some people just watch it because they think the Doctor's hot, right? Like I know there's <laughs> true, a lot of Tenet true. fangirls out there. So. Mm. I, I value a lot of the lore and the 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 background stuff. Make sure that it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, or if anyone doesn't, that's fine. I think yeah, the time yeah, with yeah. children is bad in other ways too, which is why I really <laughs> don't like it. No, that's fair. Do you want to move on to another point on why you think it's bad on that? Note? Yeah, 
Yeah, sure. So I'll go to the second one, which is sort of like a thematic one. It takes away the doctor's agency. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by this is he used to be a time lord who was creative and kind. And those mm-hmm. are the two things that set him apart from all of the other time lords. It's the reason that he left his home. He ran away. I mean, why he ran away is still kind of vague, but he just didn't fit in, right? Like that mm-hmm. was sort of the whole idea. Yeah. Um, and became this hero across the universe. Now, the Doctor is special because she's literally genetically superior to everyone else. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it's Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes away so much of what of the heart of the show and makes it well, you're the chosen one actually, and that's why you've always been better. And so it that it, it isn't as thematically rich, but also it's telling kids like it's not who it's not what you choose to do that makes you special. It's just what you are like genetically sure, which sure. is i don't think most people agree with sure um i hear what you're saying i think the timeless children in other scenes i would argue puts across a more positive message to kids about who they are like uh, the scene early on when uh you know graham sits down with yaz and that he has that little like heart to heart with her and he says something along the lines of you know yes we travel with the doctor and she's amazing but then you know to yaz you don't have a time machine you don't have Uh, a sonic and you know if you want to add to that you could argue you know yaz doesn't have any of the qualities of the doctor she can't regenerate you know she's not this superior being i i I don't know re-watching it again i just thought again for children watching i thought that was a good way of saying you don't have to have all like you know this know-how or be different in that way you can just be you and you know succeed be special mean a lot to somebody do you know what i mean that's what i got from i get what you're saying completely about the doctor embodying like this chosen one status if you like which you know is more about what she is and how she was born superior rather than you know other things but would you agree that the timeless children like in that moment takes the time to try and say to kids like you are special basically like for who you are so yeah i recognize that that is what they attempted to do um Mm -hmm. but i would not say they succeeded prime i was actually going to bring up that point if we if we started talking about chibnall's writing in a broader sense sure because in that scene, I know exactly what you're talking about. Graham is like, you're the most amazing, incredible woman I've ever met. You're you're awesome. Mm. And that's a nice thing to say, but I don't think it actually represents who Yaz has been for the past 20 episodes. She's a mm. very, very blandly written character. Um, mm. All of her desires or goals, are they either are very simple or they're never shown. It's one of those things in writing where show don't tell. That is mm. absolutely a moment where Graham turns to the audience and says, "Hey, Yaz is great, isn't she?" And <laughs> <laughs> and so I res- I respect that they're trying to give this lesson to children, but it would be much more effective if a they had shown it through Yaz actually being amazing instead of Graham just saying it, and b kept that theme running not only through Yaz, but also through the Doctor in not having her be, quote, genetically superior to everyone else. You know what I mean? That's how you yeah. write a, a rich narrative, I think. No, yeah, sure, completely. No, that's fair. Now, in terms of what you say about, um, like, you know, the Doctor embodying this chosen one persona, if you, and now I'm just getting Anakin Skywalker memes in my head. <laughs> um, <laughs> all these high ground sand. memes. Like, uh, the high ground memes, they need to stop. Um, but 
no, I get what you mean completely. And yes, the idea that the Doctor is this chosen one, it makes me think one of my, well, one of the things I didn't enjoy as much with the Timeless Children, and I don't know what you think on this, I thought it would have been much more interesting if we're going with the Timeless Child narrative, if the Master was the Timeless Child and not the Doctor, because I thought that would have added so much more, uh, well, stakes to the situation in general. I think it would have given the Doctor that real sense of, fear of the master because i think the master is most powerful when the doctor has that sense of that they fear them like there are moments throughout the like particularly in capaldi's time there were moments when i could argue that you know the doctor feared missy in those moments like genuinely which makes the master more terrifying and i think if he had been the timeless child that would have added to that and i think it just would have given him a lot more um i don't know a lot more motivation and motive to be the way well especially this way of the master is like the Sacha Duan master uh, what do you think about that um so a couple things I mm-hmm. think Sacha Duan is an amazing actor I first oh, saw him in, yeah I first saw him in Iron Fist he was incredible I think he's he's wasted on the writing of this series as the master <laughs> which is kind of disappointing but to your point about him being the timeless child I've heard that theory um mm-hmm. and I really like it I think that would have been like way way better the only problem i have with this in the back of my nerd brain is like when we first meet the master he's running out of regenerations so if you can say tectayun you know limited the the timeless child's regenerations then yeah i think that would be great because not only does it make it more interesting it doesn't make the doctor the the chosen one main hero but it also fits with those those themes that i was talking about before instead Mm. of the doctor who was who was stood out because of who she chose to be the master has always stood out because he was seen as this crazy person right yeah. like like he was the time lords thought he was nuts it makes sense that they would think that because he literally does not fit in the same way and then also the dynamic between the master and the doctor and i go over this in my video much more i sound much better <laughs> i've <laughs> no, prepared in you worry. know essay format yeah um, yeah yeah but the dynamic between them is that the master sees the doctor as like something about him is better and he doesn't know what it is and he hates that. But the doctor views the master as his equal and that's why they can never agree. It's only until, you know, 12 and Missy, Missy finally considers that the doctor, maybe I should just listen to him, that yeah. they finally get to, you know, agree again. Um, and that if if the master were the timeless child that would fit great because now he has a reason in his head to justify why he could never understand the doctor um yeah, yeah. so yeah. now i just I, think that that theory that idea of the master like when you weigh it up like the the possibilities like with what we got and then the ideas like especially like for example what you just put forward i think it makes so much more sense for it to be the master mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe as you go through your uh, audio series remaking the Chibnall era, if you want to include the timeless child <laughs> element, then, you know, just saying, just saying, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But um, I um, I haven't said this publicly, but I, I, it's not a secret or anything. I don't want to touch the master at all. Um, oh, okay. I think, I think Missy's arc and her ending where she basically committed like a double suicide was mm. so good, so clever, yeah. so master. Mm. I think the character should be done, personally. Um, oh, like, done, done, like, for good? Yeah, I really like uh, that end to her arc. I think it's mm. great. Um, no, I, I mean, I loved Michelle Gomez from the start, like, you know, the whole, from Series 8 onwards. And, yeah, I agree, like, that whole arc of Series, well, Series 10 in particular, her, you know, debating to be good and how that played out works so well. 
And I know it hasn't been confirmed sort of where Satcha Duan's master fits in the master's timeline, or if it has, I've, I've definitely missed it. Um, do you have that annoying thing where sometimes Doctor Who will like reveal a very important lore point in like a random book released or like an annual <laughs> or something like that? But to my knowledge, the Satcha Duan master hasn't, you know, hasn't been confirmed where he is. And I'd like to think he doesn't follow Missy because based on like, you know, what you said, the Missy arc ends so beautifully that to think they just invent, oh, and then I regenerated and ran, you know, ran away and decided not to be good anymore. I think that would just shit on like everything the Missy arc tried to do. So I'd like to think he comes before that. But yeah, who knows? But uh, yeah, interesting. The master done. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, what point would you like to move on to next? Okay. Um, so I talked about the plot holes, talked about taking away agency. Mm-hmm. This one really bothers me. Um, people people say that it's a positive, and I do not understand it. Okay. They say everything changed, but nothing's changed. <laughs> yes. Which is true. I know true. I've used that phrase before. <laughs> <laughs> because what... Oh. So at, at, on the surface, that means, well, our understanding of the lore has changed... But don't worry, the doctor can still be herself. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the positive interpretation. The way I see that is uh, all of the canon that you've known and love has been retconned, and you don't even get any character development out of it. Sure, yeah. <laughs> two, okay. I see it as two negatives. So yeah. it really confuses me how people see it as two positive. If you're going to make a change that big, the characters should react accordingly. They should not stay the same. And in the episode, the Ruth Doctor looks to 13 and says, you don't have to change at all. Just continue being exactly the same. <laughs> that really bothers me, like, a lot. Yeah, I, I, I get what you mean. I'd like to, again, being like the, <laughs> the ever the optimist and giving Chibnall some credit, although I think mm-hmm. I'm giving him too much. I'd like to think to some extent in Series 13 or maybe even the New Year's special that's coming up, who knows, I'd like to think some of some of that, like some of those criticisms will be addressed in terms of like, will the doctor have to like change the way she is because of this or will it get more explained? But I think like you made a very clear point and I think it was a good argument that like we are, that is insane speculation and we are giving Chibnall way too much credit for his own good. <laughs> but um, yeah, in terms of the, the law being a, retconned i understand how because i yeah i'll admit i was very much in that camp of like yes it was you know it changed a lot but also didn't change anything at all and how i interpreted it and just this is literally you know just from watching it like on first broadcast or whatever my mind was like okay so we've opened up this whole new can of worms if you like of all these previous lives the doctors had before william hartnell and we you know at the minute we don't know anything about them we don't know how many there are and, you know, it means that William Arnold isn't the first incarnation. I'd always maintain he is the first incarnation to refer to himself as the title of the Doctor. I, I, I see no reason why that, apart from the whole Joe Martin thing, but we've, <laughs> we've discussed that. But again, put, put Joe Martin to one side for a minute. Sure. Um, I, I'd argue William Hartnell is still the first Doctor, as he is the first incarnation to title himself as such. All those previous ones, again, as far as we know and can speculate, did not refer to themselves as the Doctor. So that was always my answer to people who'd like come at me on Twitter and stuff saying, Hartnell's not the first Doctor anymore. I'd be like, he's not the first incarnation but he is the first Doctor, in my personal opinion. Um, I, I'd argue, I mean, yes, the the law has changed now, as you say. Uh, what I try and do now when I watch, because I watch a lot of classic Who anyway, as well as modern Who, I sort of just watch, try and just watch it 
you know, sort of for what it was at the time, almost with like, you know, the mindset of watching it at the time, trying not to bear that in mind. I'm not saying I ignore it. I think it'd be foolish to ignore it. But I feel if I dwelled on it too much, that might interfere with my enjoyment of classic who because there's certain stories for me which i all very like close to me they're very important like you know the three doctors or tomb of the cybermen remembrance of the daleks and for me i can still watch those you know with the knowledge of what we know from the timeless children but not let that affect my enjoyment is is that is is that different for you like when you watch say classic or modern who now is it has that dampened your enjoyment of it so to speak well i mean to be as frank as possible, when the mm. Timeless Children came out, there was, this sounds a little dark, but there was like a week of mourning within a good chunk of the fandom. People really yeah. hated it, and I was one of those people. And mm. it, to to be honest, it did, it like leaves this bleak shadow over the rest of it, because I really don't like it. And mm. now when I, so I am affected, you know, I go back and I watch like, you know, a, a, a Troughton episode or something. I'm like, well, this guy isn't the second doctor. This isn't the first time okay. he's used the sonic screwdriver or whatever, you know. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, it was, I guess I'm a good example. It was so bad for me that I've decided to pretend it didn't happen so much that I'm redoing it. <laughs> like, that was, that was the reason. It was not because I personally wanted to write Doctor Who, which I do, but it's mm. more so that, like, I need something in my brain that that is an alternative to what actually happened because it really does bother me. Sure. I mean, do you think again not we've already established that Chibnall probably doesn't even read fan mail, never mind general mail, but do you think from all this backlash because you know, even though I'm more positive towards it, I think it's foolish to to try and ignore that there has been a big backlash against this, like a huge backlash. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's impossible that in series 13 they will find a way to either retcon it or change it or, you know, just basically make it so, like you said, it almost didn't happen or they dampened down the effects because of the backlash? Or do you think they'll just keep plowing on, like, regardless of anything else? I'm sort of split down the middle. See, mm. uh, I think... On the one hand, I want it to be decanonized. I want the Timeless Children thing to not have happened. Mm. But on the other hand, I don't think... Like, they, it would take some serious guts to make a huge change and then one series later be like, ha just kidding. Yeah, that's <laughs> you my know? thoughts on it. That that uh, That's why I'd lean more towards they're not going to do anything about it, at least in the like immediate future because as you say it is so soon maybe like when a new showrunner comes in eventually if they you know if they don't agree with it maybe they might try something Uh, we've seen that in i'm sure like uh, well you know to use comic books as an example you said you you know you're a fan of the mcu and the Mm -hmm. dc universe so i'm sure you know all too well from comics you know the amount of retconning that goes on and like yes i know you've got more leeway in comics because you can pretty much do whatever you want without restrictions of like you know a tv budget or anything like that but we've seen it in TV shows as well, of all kinds. So I'd say it wouldn't be impossible that it might happen one day. But I think I'm with you in the sense that I don't think it's going to happen in the next series. Not really. Well, I was actually going to make a video about this. I mean, I could just pitch it to you now. Um, sure, sure. One single story that would wrap it all up and it would be it would be interesting and it wouldn't feel like a retcon. Mm-hmm. Okay? You just have either 13 or maybe the 14th Doctor, whoever... Uh, if, let's say it's 13. She runs into a situation where there are a large number of people who were injured, okay? Mm-hmm. But knowing that she is the timeless child, she has infinite regeneration energy. So she decides to just give this regeneration to these people, this energy to these people and heal them. Um, mm-hmm. Once she does so, you see the Ruth doctor appear out of nowhere and she starts laughing and she says, ha ha ha, I tricked you. I was the master the entire time. 
Ooh. I invented the entire Timeless Children concept and tricked you into thinking it was you. You don't have infinite regenerations. In fact, now you have zero because you just gave me all of your regeneration energy. And then you have an explanation for Ruth, you retcon the Timeless Children, and you have a new plot thread. Uh-oh, the Doctor's out of regenerations. What's she going to do? That's how Ooh. I would do it. Uh, well you said that was a pitch i like it run with that man that's really cool (laughs) but again i think that's a tangible thing that could happen like i know ruth said she's the doctor but we haven't you know there's nothing to suggest that she couldn't be the master or so you know someone out to get her so yeah i think that that idea holds a lot of credence is yeah definitely make a video on that man i mean by the time (laughs) this comes out you might have already made it but yeah i think that's a Got, you've really got me thinking on that now. <laughs> That'd be really cool. And I was, um, you know, I was giving that some thought. And you have Ruth's doctor is very like no nonsense, and then you yeah. have Sasha Dewan's master who's very energetic. I think if they were both the master, that would be like a really powerful duo. They would bounce off each other pretty well. Yeah, they'd sort of like even each other out when they need to as well. You know, like if the Sasha Dewan was getting too energetic, the Joe Martin would just like you know slow him down a bit and invite you know vice versa that'd be a really cool dynamic yeah exactly yeah. but um just talking about the master for a second uh, I, I and this might be me like reading into it but there was a scene in the timeless children where it almost makes me think that the master at this point in his life is longing for death um it's the scene you know when he shrinks the lone cyberman into Mm -hmm. a into a doll which i must admit that was disappointing how this big threat of the lone cyberman was literally just brushed aside in about three seconds (laughs) um but um yeah and he he says something like oh i thought when i shrunk you the death particle would have activated and it all would be over oh i'd be happy with that you know he says something like something like that and just the way satcha duan gives it as a performance it just makes me think the master in whatever stage of his life he's in is comfortable with the idea of, of dying almost like it'll end. Like, again, we don't know if at this point it's before the John Sim master, you know, with the whole drumming in his head thing. Although they don't, you know, you'd think if it was there, they would have mentioned it, but I just find it really interesting that there's this dynamic because the master's insane as we all know. But, um, do you think there's any credence in that, that at this point the master could almost be longing or hoping for some kind of death, but to do it, like, to go out in style, if that makes sense, like, via a death particle or something equally as grand? I don't think the master is necessarily longing for death. I think, and I've used this analogy before, that the Sasha Dewan master is basically just, like, a light version of the Joker, like, from yeah. Batman. I think mm. that's sort of what they wanted to model him after, which is not necessarily a bad idea. I think if, if executed properly, that could be a really cool version of the master. The, the problem is they just took all of the very superficial aspects. So, like, there's a lot of physical comedy. He, he's, he's loud. He makes, like, dumb jokes. Like, the, the cyber thing goes into him. He's like, buy me dinner first or something like that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and I think being lackadaisy with your life, you know, being like, I, w- I don't care if I die. I think that's, like, a very Joker-ish Type, mm, okay. type aspect they're trying to project onto him. That's kind of how yeah. I understood it anyway, yeah. No, that makes sense. It's almost that, you know, that carefree aspect. He doesn't care if he lives or dies. He just he just wants to cause havoc and all that sort of stuff. Maybe it was in the performance then. That's just how I saw it on, on this viewing of The Timeless Children. It was almost like this, this, you know, melancholy way of, like, he was really disappointed that the Death Particle didn't activate when he shrunk the lone Cyberman. But, um... No, I think that's a good take as well. See, this is why I love debates. You get so many different opinions and <laughs> thoughts about things. Um, was there 
are we on the was it the fourth major point you had or the third i can't remember yeah the last one i said we didn't really talk mm. about it. it was the changed a lot but nothing at all um which i think we oh just, yeah we just disagree i don't know if there's really much to talk about with that yeah, one yeah i think it's yeah it's hard to like quantify it isn't it but yeah basically like i'm i'm in the camp that i'll use that term and i'm like more comfortable with it i guess is that fair to say like i'm more comfortable with that analogy yeah than, I... than you are maybe necessarily I, it's really just comes down to perspective. I view those yeah. two things as bad. You view them as, you know, potential good, you know? Yeah, so that's sure. just, yeah. Um, the last point I had is that this is an origin story. Um, mm. I, I, <laughs> why do you think they didn't give the doctor an origin story for 57 years? <laughs> because it's called Doctor Who. So. Exactly. What if Star Wars didn't have any fights? What if yeah. Star Trek, they didn't go anywhere? <laughs> it's called <laughs> Doctor just... Who. It needs to be a question. Don't yeah. answer it. <laughs> well, could you, I mean, again, could you argue, even though with all these pre-incarnations, is it still Doctor Who because we don't know anything about them? Uh, you you could make that argument. I don't know how well it stands. I guess here's the thing. When when Doctor Who first aired, he w- it was complete mystery. And then mm. we slowly got more and more and more until we... Oh, he's a Time Lord. He's from Gallifrey. He's roughly this old. Uh, this is his race. And then, you know, around the seventh Doctor, there was the Cartmel Master Plan, which for anyone isn't yep. familiar, that's the idea that the Doctor is actually this... this ancient time lord called the other who along with rassilon and omega founded time lord society but Mm -hmm. then he got reincarnated either through the looms or something else into the doctor today uh they never actually went through with that um they just sort of implied it a couple times in sylvester mccoy's run um and i love that like i that is one of my favorite elements of the lore of the show because it's vague and it's interesting and and they never confirmed it with this there's not a lot vague because we literally see this is the child that is the doctor. They came out of this thing. Just just making a big portal isn't isn't mysterious. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. It, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There has to be a level of intrigue because literally anything could be be behind the portal. That's less interesting than there was this Time Lord. We don't know who or what, you know, in the other. I To me, that's mm. much more intriguing than big sky portal, little girl come out. You know. I mean, they literally called the portal the infinite. I mean, how how on the <laughs> like the the infinite amount of things this portal could be? Oh, we'll just call it the infinite. That make that's that sounds mysterious. It doesn't sound mysterious. I must admit, I wasn't happy. They were like, she came from the infinite. I was like, oh, is that so? <laughs> the infinite, right? Um, <laughs> no, I I'm with you. Like, the Cartmel master plan, like that whole ethos. I know, obviously, yeah, they didn't follow through with it. That they'd sort of like tease it here and there. But I'm with you. The Sylvester McCoy era is like one of my favorite eras purely for those moments when the Doctor is really, you know, mysterious and just does these things. And you're like, why are you doing it? But it never really elaborates on it. But that's what gives him like the power and and the the mystique in a way. I mean, even to the point where I love the scene in, I know a lot of people don't like it, but you know, Silver Nemesis, mm-hmm. when Lady Painful, you know, claims to know who the Doctor is, who he actually is. And... Uh, you know obviously at the end ace asks and he just puts his finger to his lips as as like you could argue that's on the nose whatever but i love that moment do you know what i mean it's like it's teasing you like oh someone actually knows who he is and he's just not budging whatsoever we had it arguably with the first appearance of river song in david Tennant's time you know yes. he's the fact she the fact she knows his name and obviously he hasn't met her yet or met her since that terrifies him. You see it in his performance. You know, he's genuinely worried that someone knows 
who he is behind this title of the Doctor, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I, go on, sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, Moffat playing with the Doctor's name really helped with that whole intrigue thing. Um, like I said, he sort of hand-waved it and made, oh, the name's important now because of the whole Trenzalore thing. But mm. even that, because I watched, I watched Revival before I went and watched Classic Who. That yeah. was my first taste of, ooh, why don't we know his name? Why can't we know his name? Ooh, mm. that's interesting. You know, that's the intrigue thing. Um, yeah, so I would argue that that's like the modern series attempt at making him more mysterious. And I, I think it works. Yeah, because it, it sort of lures you in. I mean, calling an episode the name of the Doctor, obviously people instantly will assume you're going to say his name when, of course, you know, it was actually in the name of the Doctor, so to speak, whatever. Yeah, you're right. Moffat was always very on the edge, I think, with, as you say, like the hand-waving sort of stuff. And, I mean, one thing a lot of people don't like uh, of the Revival era is how much, obviously, Clara has, seems to have an input in it. You know, with the whole um, her telling to get the TARDIS and then her moment in Listen, even though I really enjoy Listen as a story. Um, but do you think moments like that, do they not, like ruin some of the mystery not all of it but like some of it do you think or are they more acceptable those like clara mm. moments well so i totally get why they annoy certain people i'm a little biased because i watched that era first like literally okay. the, the first episode i ever watched of the show was name of the doctor which i know oh is my a, god it's <laughs> a horrible place to start Look, i bet you were like who are the like william arnold comes on who the hell is this like yeah what's going yeah it was well i was on google plus of all places because it was like 2014 or something oh, or man, 2013 yeah right right <laughs> um and i and i was intrigued how can the main character how do you not know his name and yeah. that got me to watch the show. And then I went back and watched Eccleston, you know. Um, so I'm a little biased towards those moments where Clara interferes with his life. You know, she's very, very influential. I think that, like, from a writing perspective, that's a poor decision to make a companion so important to the Doctor. Um, yeah. At least in his past. If you want to do it in his present, that's fine. Amy or or uh, or um, Rose, making the, them really important to the Doctor in the present, I'm cool with that. Um, so I would, I would try to avoid that, but that's the thing. If Moffat or, or Davies or anyone wants to make something a landmark in the doctor's life now, that's fine. But to go back in time and, and kind of, I think it's like overstepping your boundaries, you know, like sure. you, you've been entrusted this show that's really old and you're sort of saying, not only do I have the right to shape its future, but I also have the right to shape its fast, its past. And okay, that's yeah. that's one of the reasons I don't like the Timeless Children so much. Um, but to a much lesser extent, the the little elements with Clara, yeah, I would put them in the same camp. Yeah, because is it that that thing you talked about earlier, like how you know in the Timeless Children it almost elevates the uh, the doctrine to this you know place of superiority based on you know her genes or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, is it not the same with Clara almost being? placed on this superior pedestal compared to like every other companion purely because she's gone back into the doctor's past she was the one who told him to take the tardis that he took she's the one who told him to like be like be brave amongst the monsters in listen or you know whatever that speech was is that not sort of a similar i know it's not to the same extent because it's not the main character but isn't it sort isn't that sort of a similar thing i would say it's almost 100 percent the same thing yeah. yeah. The only the only reason it doesn't bother me is it's not called Clara Who and she's only around <laughs> for three series. The Doctor will be around for the entire show, and so doing Se it for the Doctor is a problem. Series seven may as well have been called Clara Who. 
I mean, the whole, <laughs> oh, she's the impossible girl. Who is she? Who is this girl? They may, they may as well have called it Karu. But I get, I get what you mean. It's like she's not the main character, she, you know, so that's why it's not as influential. But, yeah, I, I'm, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I'd never thought about the Kara moments like that before until you mentioned the whole thing about the, we'll call it, you know, like the superiority aspect. Mm-hmm. Because I think you have so many brilliant companions, you know, that we all know and love and like you say if you want to make clara the most important character in his world in the present cool but to have her influence those key moments so you know it's like in an unearthly child it's like oh he's only in 1960s london or whatever because clara told him to get in that box or he's only being brave against these monsters because clara told him to do you know what i mean that's it yeah is it that similar way of thinking as oh the the whole jody thing so yeah, nah, fair play. Um, I, was I, would, any... I would say in the, in, in the whole Clara thing is, like, in Series 9, when she finally leaves, a lot of people hated uh, Hellbent. That's the second one, right? Heaven Sense, the first oh, one. Oh, I love Hellbent, I, personally. When it first aired, I hated Hellbent. Okay. Now it's one of my favorite episodes. And the I reason for that beautiful. is, if you accept that Clara is as important as Moffat has said she is, then it's an incredible character episode. I mean, it's... It's fantastic. The reason people hate it is because we thought it was going to be about Gallifrey, and, yeah. and he made it about Clara. Um, mm. But if you accept that that it's going to be about Clara, then it's fantastic. I love it. Um, and yeah. it's also beautifully shot. Like It's really gorgeous when he's walking through the orange desert. Oh, oh it's amazing. Man. So many like good vistas there. I think I've got a poster of Hellbent somewhere in my room, just like from that vista, but... Yeah, no, I loved Hellbent as well. Um, and like you say, I didn't view it as like, you know, the Gallifrey episode. Like it was cool we were back on Gallifrey. Um, but yeah, it was more the character moments between the Doctor and Clara. And again, quick sidetrack. You know the thing in Twice Upon a Time when he like remembers Clara at the end? Mm-hmm. I thought that was a little bit like Moffat trying to repeat what he did with Matt Smith. You know, the whole seeing <laughs> Amy at the end, the, the first face, this face saw thing. I mean, I thought it... Cause, yeah, again, benefit of hindsight, of course. But when you watch Hellbent now and, you know, this whole impact and, you know, you'll never forget you, the first time, you know, you watched it on transmission and how, like, momentous it was that the Doctor now, you know, had no memory of his impossible girl anymore. But now when you watch Hellbent, you know, it's like, oh, well, he won't remember her now, but, you know, give it another year and he'll remember her again. I don't know what you thought. I just thought, like, yeah, it was nice to see her at the end of Capaldi's run, but I just thought, like, you could have left it, like, I don't know. I would have... So, personally, the way I would have done that is he goes in the TARDIS, and before he regenerates, he strums her theme on his guitar. And then he gives a speech. You know, because then it's like, maybe he remembers her. Maybe he doesn't. We don't know. And then just move on. But I think, at that point, Moffat was sort of running out of ideas. (laughs) Because the end of Series 10 is, like, the exact same as the end of Series 9. Because in Series 9, you had Clara and me who basically get a TARDIS and they can go fly around space and they're both immortal. And then at the end of Series 10, you get Bill (laughs) and... Bill and Heather. Heather, yeah. (laughs) And they they get magic powers. They can go fly around space and they're immortal. (laughs) Like, all right, Moffat, come on. Oh, yeah. Okay, dude. Like, you can mask this all you like, but it's the same plot. (laughs) I mean... I must admit, I always, I wonder sometimes, like, what would the show have been like if Moffat had gone with Matt Smith? Do you know what I mean? Like, left with his doctor, so to speak. Oh. Like, I always wonder, like, what would have happened? Not saying Chibnall would have taken over when Capaldi took over, but I just think that that was, like, a key point. Because you know how he said in, you know, now that the 50th anniversary year basically, like, wiped him out, basically. You know, with everything going on, it, like, drove him to the edge and how 
Peter Capaldi was like the one main reason he stayed on. Uh, do you know what I mean? It's an interesting what if, isn't it? Like, what if Moffat did leave? Like, what would what would the Capaldi era and maybe even the Jodie era look like? But that that's for big finish to do an alternative <laughs> spin-off. Basically, any any thoughts fans have, you just submit them to big finish, and they're like, yeah, it, we'll we'll do that. So, <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's sort of what I'm doing. Is I I, yeah, I had exactly. like three story ideas in the rest of the series. I'm like, hey, send me stuff. And some people have some real gold. Let me tell you, I'm very excited. Yeah. No, cool. Uh, on that note, uh, unless there was anything else you wanted to close off with on the Timeless Children, because we've we've <laughs> we've beaten it, we've really beaten it. But if, <laughs> honestly, if there was anything like burning that you wanted to get off about it, like please feel free. Um, not the Timeless Children. I mean, if you mm. if you like what I had to say, just go watch my video about it. I'm much more concise and mean there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I I feel like I could have a whole conversation just like this about Chibnall's writing specifically, not even mm. touching the Timeless Children. Um, that's fair that's fair yeah uh, well, we can move uh, on well sure 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 uh well do you want to talk like a bit about chibnall's writing and stuff just like a, a summary of like why you don't like it basically <laughs> I if you tr- can do a summary <laughs> um you know what let me pick just one thing and i'll just okay, go on that okay. um yeah. and this kind of ties into so we were talking about uh like the writing and you were saying like chibnall has this thing where he'll create a mystery and he'll kind of forget about it um yeah. i have uh, like a like an example. So, in Spyfall, mm. how did the Doctor discover that O was actually the Master? He just uh, sorry, yeah. Well, he, he he said it as much, didn't he? On the on the plane. Yeah, he just told her. He just said yeah. it. So yeah. then the question is, well, why did he tell her that? And the answer is, she pointed out one inconsistency in something that he had said absentmindedly that he wasn't. He was never a good runner, right? Yeah. He could have just said, like, oh, I was being sarcastic. He could have just, like, dismissed it. But he didn't. He immediately gave up on that point. Mm -hmm. Then, the little anecdote that she pointed out about him running, it was something that the audience had not been told prior to the scene. We didn't Mm -hmm. know that he was a sprinter, right? So there's no way we as the audience could have put that together. It was all in the doctor's head. So that's kind of how Chibnall writes all of his mysteries, it's basically yeah. stuff that that it's like you get one shock value, like oh my god, the master's back, and then that's it. If you read yeah. a, if you read a story where you sprinkle in the hints beforehand, so the audience has the potential to figure out beforehand, then you have rewatch value. Then you can mm. go back and be like, oh my god, I missed that. Like if yeah, uh, my favorite episode is Heaven Sent because it does that oh, perfectly. Beautiful. There's bird mm. written in the sand. You know, you, you know what the skulls are. You notice the mm. clothes that are... Like, you you can put all those together after you've seen it once. With Spyfall, it's like, oh, he's the master. <laughs> yeah, like, now, as you say, when you rewatch it, the minute you see O, like, you're just like, well, that's the master. Like, yeah. without any, without any, as you say, the hints to pick up on it. And I think, yeah, that's that seems to be how Chibnall writes the whole shock value. Like, you know, shock value first, like, anything else later. And I think for Doctor Who, as you say, especially Modern Who, that is a detriment. Because I think what Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat did so well, I mean, you know, it's like the whole series arcs, isn't it? Like, you know, the whole Bad Wolf thing. Mm-hmm. When you when it, when it they sort of flashback all those moments in the last two-parter of all those moments, Bad Wolf. Because, I, yeah, I remember the first time I watched series one. You just, you hear it, but you don't pick up on it, do you? Like, oh, Bad Wolf on descending, like, go to Bad Wolf base. You know, all those little things, you don't pick up on it. And it's like you say, it has the rewatch value. So yes, I agree with you there that Chibnall seems to be more about the shock thing. I mean, 
the whole timeless child thing. I mean, remember it got mentioned in the ghost monument in series 11. And then by the end of series 11, we thought he'd forgotten about it because it hadn't gotten mentioned. And on one hand, I was like, fair play for like saving it like to the next season. But I think if you're going to save it to the next season, you need to pepper it more in that first season. Because correct me if I'm wrong, that mention of the timeless child in the ghost monument was the only mention of it in series 11, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep. And I and I think for sure, like fans like us, you know, we we nitpick it and all that. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna remember it. We're gonna bank it. But I think more so for the casual viewer, like when it gets brought up again, and they're like, oh, this is what you know was said in the Ghost Monument. They'll be like, wait, what? You know, this this one moment that got said for like five seconds. I just don't think he's a very well in terms of Doctor Who. I don't think he's a very like general audience viewer friendly writer. If that makes sense. In terms of when he's trying to intersperse the law, when he's just doing like a basic monster of the week story, it's fine. But when he's doing all the law stuff, I don't think he's a very audience friendly writer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. If you're going to have these, even if it's not like a singular mystery story, if it's a piece of lore that you're going to touch on later and expand, you need to pepper it in right like you need yeah. to constantly remind the audience about it otherwise it's just a singular callback it's not a plot thread yes exactly and that's basically what well when series 12 started whenever the timeless child was first mentioned in series 12 they literally played the five seconds from the ghost monument <laughs> and anyone who either didn't see series 11 or just forgot about it will be like wait when did this happen because it was only mentioned that one time and i just hope it gets sort of I think it's a fine line, isn't it, with, like, series arcs like that? Like, there are times when you can do it overkill. Like, I'd always argue the, um... Which was the one I thought was overkill? Um, I think it was the whole... You know, the in the, like, the Tenant, um... The Tenant specials? The Four Heart... Uh, the Four Knocks, whatever? Oh, yeah. I thought, in my opinion, it was good. I liked it. But I thought it as soon as it got mentioned in the first one, the Planet of the Dead, like... I don't think because there was only four stories, it didn't need to be as hammered in as it was in the remaining three. I think they played on it a bit too much. But again, that's just my subjective opinion. Or the one arc I didn't like, personally, was series six with Matt Smith. Mm. Because I think, and I've mentioned this before, um, so regular view listeners and all I'm talking about. But you know that whole thing in the first episode, the Doctor gets shot and is dead. That whole aspect. Yeah. I thought as soon as that happened all the stakes for the season were off because we know the doctor's not going to, when you say the doctor's going to die, it's got to be done in a way where there's genuine suspense doing that at the start of a season. And then like working backwards for me, didn't work because even when we got to the wedding of river song, we knew the doctor wasn't going to die because he's the main character. And you know, we didn't have a regeneration incoming, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought that whole arc didn't work as like a, a thing for audiences to pick up on. I don't know what you thought about it, but I, I just think it didn't work. Well, in terms of series six, I think that was one of the less tightly written um, 11th mm. Doctor series. Uh, I think you're you're partially right. So you can do a story where you kill the, the main oh, character yeah. in the first episode and then I work agree. backwards with time travel. Um, mm. I don't think they did it well. I think the problem was they took a detour from that story to do the whole River Song thing. Um, yeah. those are really two mysteries that they kind of intertwine together. Um, I exact, I totally get what Moffat was trying to do. Um, but he just didn't execute properly. I'd have to study it a little bit more, but like, that's sure. my basic, you could do it well is my main point. Yeah. That could be like your next mega project and an analysis <laughs> of series six and why, and why, well, why in my humble opinion, it doesn't work. But yeah, I mean, do you think, 
in terms of villain writing in the Chibnall era that Chibnall writes his villains well because I always found with I thought Russell T Davies wrote his villains brilliantly personally Moffat I think he wrote some of them perfectly but the villains that were more like the old staples like the Daleks and the Cybermen I felt in the Moffat era more often than not they were treated more as like fodder to something else which I didn't like personally I think the Cybermen and Daleks are at their best when they're written to be feared, like Dalek in the Eccleston era or the Cybermen two-parter in David Tennant's first season on the Parallel World. I think those work great because not only are the Cybermen and the Daleks the main focus in those episodes, but they're given the writing and the development as characters to be threatening. Whereas in Moffat's era, like the amount of you know, like Dalek cameos or Cybermen cameos and the stories that are dedicated to them, I just don't think hold any weight. But so how do you think Chibnall writes his villains by comparison? Um, well, let me touch on what you said about Moffat really quick. Uh, sure. I think the reason that you feel that way about how he does the, the Daleks and the Cybermen is because he has this tendency to try to build stakes by throwing every villain at you at once. Oh my so god, yes. <laughs> we'll see Daleks and Weeping Angels and Santarans and Cybermen and Silurians all together. I think that happened like three times during his run, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so you don't have time to focus on them, number one, so they're less scary. Number two, you've seen them so much that they're not special anymore, right? Yeah. I think those are the two reasons that Moffat's, at least the, the mainstay villains, didn't seem as threatening. Yeah, it's like when he kept saying, like, every time we'd have a Dalek or Cyberman story in the interviews, it'd be like, oh, we're making them scary again. And it just got to a point where I, I, I didn't believe him because it wasn't, well, it wasn't true, quite frankly. <laughs> I mean, I remember being so excited for, you know, Asylum of the Daleks when that first came out. Mm -hmm. And he said there's this whole section of Daleks that have, like, gone even more insane, like they're more deranged. And I was really excited because obviously Daleks, when they're written well, can be, you know, terrifying anyway. But the idea of like an even more deranged Dalek that is like so unhinged, I thought that could have been really terrifying. And there was like one or two slight moments where I thought they were leaning towards that. But then we have to have a joke where Rory thinks a Dalek saying eggs instead of exterminate. And then the whole <laughs> thing is ruined. But do, do you know what I mean? It's like the moments where you think it's going to get scary for the Daleks, like in that instance, he feels like he has to throw in like either comedy or something that dampens it. It's like he wants to make it scary, but not too scary. Do you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. I think they could have taken it further. That tonal balance is tough to strike. And I guess when you've been writing so much Doctor Who for so long, and this isn't a defense, like like I I agree with you that, that he handled those poorly. Um, mm. I guess when you've been writing Doctor Who for so long, like you feel the need to do the scene differently than other people have done it, right? Sure, yeah. So like Daleks have always been scary in this exact way that they happen to work perfectly. I have to do it differently, or I have to put a joke here. Um, hmm. I think you should, if you're going to write a Dalek story, which I have not done yet, <laughs> um, you should have them be scary just because they are Daleks and make some yeah. other element of the story new and interesting. Um, yeah. like, I mean, they're ruthless and evil and they want to kill everybody. You don't need to do anything else. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that's true. But I, I mean, I, I think, especially with the revival era, I think what makes the Daleks more terrifying is... Not when they're given dialogue that's more human, but is inherently not like part of their stable of like seven or eight catchphrases. So, you know, they're not just saying exterminate or seek, locate, annihilate. Do you know what I mean? Like in Dalek, the Eccleston one, where it's just the one, that scene where the Dalek and Eccleston are just talking in the cage. In fact, throughout the whole episode, the Dalek has 
I think it's been given more like, you know, conversational lines, lines that you can develop on. And it's hard to strike because the Daleks only really, if it's got any emotions, it's only meant to have like hatred. But I think if the Daleks are written in that way where the Doctor or whoever can have more of a conversation, depending on what the Dalek says and how you write it, I think that can be terrifying. Like when we all first heard, you know, the Daleks say back to Eccleston, you would make a good Dalek. I found that horrifying because the fact that the Dalek has come up with that concoction to then like fire back, I think it provides real horror. So I think that's how I find the Daleks more scary when they're not just written as these things that, that just simply go exterminate or seek locate. And I, do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. So that's the thing is like there's different types of fear. And so mm. in, in that particular, so normally Daleks are very much just a, a basic physical fear. They're going to shoot me and kill me. But yeah. in that instance, it was very much like a fear that's rooted in your your loss of yourself, right? Like, the mm. doctor genuinely questioned who he was or if the Dalek was right. That's yeah. completely different from physical fear, and that's why it was so compelling. And mm. so if you're gonna do the Daleks differently, maybe the fear that you're trying to concoct should come from their, like, they have some ruthless strategy that isn't based on just shooting someone, but sacrificing a race of people to kill a different race of people or something like that, you know? Like creatively make them scary not just shoot yeah. or yell yeah because i think a lot of writers forget like the daleks are meant to be like fiercely intelligent as well mm -hmm. and i think showing more of their manipulative side if you like like how they can manipulate either the doctor or other people to meet their own ends and like i love the way the supreme dalek was written for you know in the stolen earth journey's end like the moment when the Doctor thinks the TARDIS has been destroyed in the core of the Crucible. Um, and what does the Supreme Dalek say? Is like, you know, how do you feel? Anger, sorrow, despair. And, um, you know, if emotions are so important, then surely we've enhanced you. It's almost, you know, like mocking him. <laughs> um, but I, again, I think that strikes a different, like you say, a different fear from like the physical fear of a Dalek. The fact that a Dalek is capable of manipulating someone or using, you know, words to twist someone you know, in such a way, I think that's an element of the Daleks that hasn't really been touched upon that greatly, not just in the Chibnall era, but certainly in the Moffat era as well. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Um, and we, we started this conversation, we wanted to talk about Chibnall. Um, yes, <laughs> we yeah. Got really so, yeah we, we, as, as Doctor Who fans do, we talk about one thing <laughs> and then you, you spar up. Yes, back to Chibnall, yeah. I think he does... As I think most things Chibnall does, I think he does an awful job with his villains. Um, mm -hmm. And the reason I say that is because they're almost always completely one-dimensional, or mm. they're just ripped off from something else. Um, sure, yeah. So, like, you have the concept of uh, the lone Cyberman, right? Yeah. And you have, like, this, oh, is it is it like more human than than a regular cyberman is is there supposed to be like something left over are we are we going back into this body horror type concept is it going to have like emotions mm. eh, no not really <laughs> it has a death particle which is a really dumb idea uh okay what about tim shaw he's oh, like yeah. he's like the the first chibnall series main villain okay what's his deal he's just the predator but boring <laughs> like that's he, he, there's nothing interesting about him he doesn't have a yeah. catchphrase he doesn't have gravitas he's not extra scary he's just bad guy tm 
You know what I mean? He's just <laughs> he's just got teeth in his face. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> teeth in his face. The the worst, the absolute worst is uh Crasco, the space racist. Um, uh, <laughs> because I he, thought that episode would have been I, I really enjoyed Rosa but it would have been even better if he was not a thing like if he was not in the episode at all I think, I there, think. there's there's a couple ways I think you can make Rosa better um, but if we're just going to focus on Krasko for a second why is he racist um, did yeah. he like that would be interesting maybe try to break into well what makes people racist because if we can understand that, maybe we can stop them from being racist. That would be, you know, a good lesson for kids. It would be interesting yeah. to talk about. No, yeah. he's just from the future, and he's white, and he's angry about it. <laughs> yeah, I think this is something Chibnall, and I, like, I know not all writers, he didn't write all stories, sorry, but as the showrunner, he would have had some influence, you know, say, over all scripts, or he would have had to approve them. But I think when it comes to messages like that, whether it's racism or in series 12, you know, when it's uh, plastic pollution mm -hmm. or climate change, I think, like you say, with the racism thing, he just really makes like a big point of it. He shoves it in your face like, look, this is the problem. Racism is the problem. Plastic pollution is the problem. But it's not done in like a subtle way because I found to the point where in Praxis and Orphan 55, I felt like those messages were being beaten around my head so much. It was like, just stop. Like, I get it. Climate change is bad. <laughs> plastic pollution is bad you can tell me that in a much more subtle and i'd argue impactful way than literally just like zooming out on a sea of plastic and going gee this is bad isn't it do you know what i mean <laughs> and i feel that was the problem with crasco he's racist racism is bad yes racism is a problem yes like but you could have done that in so many more subtle ways like do you, um do you remember the story Human Nature, the Family of Blood in oh, yeah. Time? Yeah, love it. You know when Martha's posing to be like, you know, the servant girl and she's mm -hmm. cleaning the floor? And then I can't remember exactly what he says, but one of the students makes like that really sly racist comment about her. Like, you know, how she, like either she's made for this sort of work or she doesn't expect, you know, her kind to understand. Do you know what I mean? Something basically insulting her because of her race. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the focus of the whole episode. The whole two-parter is not, gee, we're in 1913. British people are pretty racist, aren't they? Do you know what I mean? That's not the conversation. But that one little line, I think, holds more impact about how racism is bad than Crasco just being, you know... <laughs> he may as well wear a sign saying, I'm racist, did you know? <laughs> so, yeah, I just think, yeah, I think that's the problem with Chibnall when it comes to messaging, how he feels like he has to really poster it everywhere. Like, you know, there can be no subtlety with a serious message with him. You know, it's got to be it's got to be out there. Otherwise, people aren't going to get it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I made four videos about why I didn't like the writing of Series 11. This is before Series 12 came out. And one yeah. of them is all about the politics. Um, because so like a lot of people will say, like, uh, well, Doctor Who's too political now. Oh, well, that can't be true. It's always been political. But mm -hmm. I think what a lot of people don't understand, it's like, what if Nintendo released a new Mario game and Mario's shoes, pants, shirt, gloves, skin, hair, eyes, and hat were all completely red? And people were Ooh. like, people were like, well, wait, there's too much red. And then other people <laughs> were like, he's always been red, you idiot. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? It's the same thing. It's yeah. Doctor Who absolutely should have political episodes, but they shouldn't be the focus. And when they are, they shouldn't, they should be, um, how do I put it? They should make you think about the subject. They shouldn't tell you what to think about it, right? Because yeah. if they tell you what to think, if they're like, racism is bad, that's not 
a story that's propaganda. And that's not necessarily a bad message, obviously, but it's not entertaining to watch. <laughs> you know what I mean? And if it's yeah, not entertaining exactly. to watch, it doesn't matter if it's a good message because no one's going to see it. Exactly. And in terms of especially reaching out to like to kids, to children, I would argue put a kid in front of a TV, show them that scene with Martha that I mentioned, you know, where this guy mm-hmm. makes one sly comment and the reaction to it. I bet a kid, you know, a kid obviously of an age will know that that's wrong or they'll pick up on that that's wrong more so than, you know, Crasco uh, <laughs> outwardly going around with his poster saying I'm racist. And I think... Like you say, yeah, Doctor Who can have political episodes. It can talk about serious topics. Of course it should. Like, you could argue, to some extent, the show's always done that. But um, I think what Chibnall's problem is, a showrunner at least, I know he doesn't write all the episodes, but a showrunner, it's the messages are too, as you say, in your face, and, mm-hmm. like, you have to be told. Like, what is it in Arachnids in the UK, the whole oh. thing with Trump? Oh, my like, God. Uh, <laughs> I can't remember how they say it exactly. It was like, oh, that's why you wanted like Trump out of office or something. I can't remember what the exact phrase was, but I remember the way they said, like you could have alluded to it so much better and subtly than literally bringing it up. And I think that's the whole problem with the political slash social message side of this era. If that makes sense, that it is just all it's in your face. Yeah. It's here. You can't ignore it because we're telling you there's no, you're not allowing the audience to think, Oh gee, maybe they're talking about this issue. And this is why like you say, it's a spur of thought, isn't it? Well, yeah, that's the thing is if uh, I think if you're going to write a fun TV show that has a message, then you should design it that no matter who watches it, they get to thinking about the same thing, right? So, like, if I was a Trump supporter and I watched that episode, that's not going to convince me that Trump is a bad guy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just going to piss me off. And if you're if you hate Trump and you watch that episode, you're not given any insight into like why do you think people support him? It's just like, oh, he's obviously terrible. Like you get nothing out of it. You know what I mean? Um and that's yeah. that's true for all of the episodes. Plastic Ocean's bad. Like that's the whole <laughs> message. That's not that does that's not going to convince me if I already didn't care. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's almost like they they probably don't think this, but it's almost like they're they think the audience isn't like smart or adaptive enough to draw these conclusions themselves without them actually shoving it in our face, if that makes sense. That's how it comes across sometimes. Like the whole speech with Orphan 55, well, I didn't have a problem with it in concept, but the way it was like slammed in, it's almost like they thought, gee, maybe Adam doesn't understand what climate change is. We, be- <laughs> we better tell him. We better tell him. Do-, do you know what I mean? That's how it comes... That's how it comes across, to me at least. Orphan 55 was one of the worst, not only because it was so blatant, but at the end, the doctor literally like turns to the camera and says, guys, this is what Earth will be if you don't stop polluting. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I feel like we're in the 80s, you know, we're getting yeah. like a public service announcement. It's it's odd because when she starts saying like, oh, you want me to tell you it's going to be all okay, but I can't because it won't be essentially... I like that, like the start of where it's going, because I like the fact that the Doctor isn't just telling people what they want to hear. Like, it's that side of the Doctor that is always, you could argue, has been present with all the incarnations. You know, when the Doctor has to be straight with something, you know, they're straight about it. Yeah. And I thought it was leaning into that, and I liked it. So I was like, yeah, Jodie's not just like, yeah, it's fine. Like, in like 3,000 years, you figure out how to decompose plastic, and the Earth is set. Do you know what I mean? So when it started, I was like, okay, like, I'm with this. I want to see where this goes. But then very quickly, as you say, it turned into an 80s public service announcement and it just got very, 
slammed in and that's where i think it goes wrong you can do you can even do a speech about it like that but just have it more either subtle or more intriguing or more related to the characters in the moment rather than like you say almost pointing out of the screen and going remember kids (laughs) don't throw your plastic bottles in the ocean because then we're going to get like evil birds that will eat you or whatever the hell that episode (laughs) was um yeah so i definitely agree with you on that and I'll just say for more, just so, I mean, we could be here for three hours and if it wasn't like half past midnight here in the UK, I'd be all for it. But um, if you want to know more views on Beware's uh, on like the Chimley era or your views, just check out your channel because you've got several videos about it, right? Like about this like whole era and what you've got to criticize and whatnot. Yeah, I have a, I have a, a four part mini series called Unlucky 13 that just talks about series 11. Um, and I'm mm. pretty fair about it. I'm not like an angry guy who yells about it. So I think, you yeah. know, if you want an no, interesting deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. Well, yeah, that's why, even though it was more positive for Capaldi's era, I like your videos in the sense that, again, you offer everything with like, you know, constructive evidence or opinion. It's not just, it's not unbridled praise, but it's not, you know, downright hatred either. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate the, your, your style on that, which is good. And, um, before we close off, I wanted to I wanted to ask you because um, obviously Doctor Who is a you know it's made in Britain it's a British TV show. Um, as an American yourself, just out of a stupid Brit's curiosity like mine, what to you makes Doctor Who so appealing? Because you could you could argue in many ways it's quite a, a British show in a way. Yeah, so I'll say this: there's a lot of like little bits of humor or or cultural like little. Um, comments and stuff that I just don't get. They fly right over my head because I'm an American. Um, But I think what really sold me on Doctor Who um, when I was watching series one was the episode Dalek. Um, Yeah. And the reason is because you, you had this main character who is amazing. He's incredible. He's this genius. And he seems to be this, this like awesome guy, but there's Mm. this very deep, dark, something inside of him that you get a little peek at and just this character the character is what sold me really because all of the work that they've done with it since with with Tennant and Smith and especially Capaldi that's why I keep watching it that's what really brings me into the show um yeah yeah it's really just the character work and also a lot of the music and sci-fi is cool (laughs) yeah it is. I mean, Murray Golden. I, I mean, I like Segun Akinola's stuff. Do you like his stuff for the Chibnall era? Or? I, okay, so I like 13's theme. I think it's yeah. a good theme. Um, uh-huh. I don't like most of his other stuff because it's so atmospheric and empty. Um, yeah. I actually had a comment on that. Uh, how much time do we have left? I don't want to like... Oh, oh, no, no, no. It's all right. Um, probably like wrap up soon but like feel free to elaborate on this point don't worry Go okay ahead. so here's my example right my favorite episode is heaven sent and we have this yeah. beautiful piece of music called breaking the wall um it exemplifies the doctor's emotional journey through the whole episode right it's his character arc this person he's becoming the man who will never back down no matter how ridiculous the odds as he's punching through this insane wall over billions of years so then in the next series, there was this focus on doing the right thing in extremists um, without any hope for reward. You know, you know, you've seen series 10, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then the end of series 10, he just wants to die. And mm. as he's giving this speech, we hear 
breaking the wall we hear that song again yep. and it yep. represents that he's breaking through his final wall he's choosing to keep living even though he really doesn't want to and it just i hear mm. it and i tear up because it's so good he makes the yeah. choice to let go of the doctor right so then yeah. we get we get the timeless children which is supposed to be this incredible, huge moment for the Doctor, right? Like, earth-shattering, her entire past is different. Yeah, yeah. And they just played the title's theme. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's Yeah, like, like the theme remix, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so that's how I feel a lot about the, the Chibnall-era music. It's very empty, and there's not as much thought and like love put into it. Murray Gold is amazing to me. I love Murray Gold. Oh, he was. And I loved how, at the very end of twice upon a time when when jody had just appeared and he played you know the doctor's theme again like mm-hmm. one last time almost like that was you know a sign off for like the whole murray gold era if you like i i don't know i just thought the way i know it's mainly associated with the ninth doctor but the way it was done i was like this is beautiful this just sums up like the last 12 years in a nutshell and um yeah and away for like just building on the music again like you say that moment when capaldi dies like when you break it down, I like say it's a really dark moment. Like I say, he wants to die. Like he wants, he wants out. Mm-hmm. Like he, he's done. Um, and I think Capaldi sells that speech so well. I mean, he sells anything well, quite frankly. <laughs> but he sells. Um, I think he sells that speech so well that you know you go from the start of it where you have this doctor who wants nothing more than to just rest. You know, just to well, in terms of death, but you know, to die. From as you say, somehow convincing himself to keep going. And I think for me, that's why I enjoy Jodie's portrayal in the sense that a lot of people complain that she's too, like, fun-loving, like she's too chirpy or whatever. And I'd argue we got more of, like, that darker side, that something other you mentioned that you first saw in Dalek. I'd argue we got more of that in Series 12. It wasn't really in Series 11, but we got more of it. Maybe not enough. But I loved how Jodie just was really fun-loving to begin with, especially, like, those first three episodes of Series 11. I had a lot of fun with it because it was like a joy to see this character who had been at like the lowest of lows, like wanting to die, just enjoy life again. I don't know. You might not have felt the same, but I just, I enjoyed that so much from her portrayal, just how much fun she's having going around the universe. And that just, it rubbed a bit off on me. Well, I know, I'm, I know I'm in like the minority probably. Think that, well, no, but, I love yeah. that concept so much that it's what I'm doing for my version of the 13th Doctor. Yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. literally, I, I designed him as like the eternal optimist. This this person mm. who is just loves life because I think that would be the psychological reaction to wanting to die and choosing to live. Like if you would have to yeah. do something like that. But I think the primary difference is I'm trying to write the Doctor in such a way that you can tell there's something under the surface and that this, mm. this incredible optimism is not... It, it, it can never be that simple because if it were that simple, then this would be, you know, a storybook with sunshine, with sunshine and rainbows, you know? Yeah. Um, and you don't go through what the 12th doctor did and come out perfectly unscathed. And so oh, of course. you're talking about the darkness in, in Jody's performance. I did not get that. Um, okay. Certainly not series 11. And I don't think in series 12 either. I think she, like she gets mildly angry like once or twice, but I think that's more Chibnall's fault than than Jody's. Uh, like mm. she goes and see Gallifrey burned to the ground, and she just like sits down and throws a remote. Like, yeah. give her an angry speech. Let her yell. Let her act. You know what I mean? Like, I don't mm. know. I, I feel like we're not getting that, and we really should. Sure. I mean, for me, that moment, I thought. Uh, well, she sold me on it when 
maybe not in terms of anger, but certainly in terms of that darker side when she just when she saw Gallifrey. You know that shot where she's like just looking out of the TARDIS door, like that sold me on like her, her reaction, like just from an acting point of view, I thought was brilliant. She didn't even need to say anything, but yes, she could have had an angry speech, absolutely. But I think there were there were moments throughout the series, like when she tells her companions, like you know, how long have you been here? You don't really know me, or in haunting a villa Diodati after um the lone cyberman disappears with shelly and she talks about like you know this this team structure is not flat i'm i'm at the summit of this mountain here i think yes i think they could have gone into it more and had they done it in series 11 first it could have been deeper in series 12 but i'm hoping in series 13 and i, I agree with you it's probably more chibnall than jody because i think when jody does those bits like that there are i think she's fantastic i think she nails it i believe her but I, I need to see more of it. Do you know what I mean? I want to see more of this, that dark, that other side of the Doctor that is always lingering, I think, especially from the, the modern revival. I mean, how many times did Tennant exhibit that darkness? And we bought it absolutely. Like when he drowns the Ragnos, for example, and Donna has to get him to stop. Yeah, so, and, so yeah. Uh, you're, you're talking about wanting more and you actually gave an example, which is right to my point that I made earlier about like how Graham talked to Yaz. Mm. The Doctor says that there's more under the surface, but she doesn't show it. It's this it's this show-don't-tell rule that we're not getting because if mm. the 10th Doctor is angry, he drowns the Ragnos, right? If yeah. the 13th Doctor is angry, she tells people that she's angry. You get what I yes. mean? Yeah. That is I the problem you. in yeah. the writing, and that's why you're feeling like, I want more, because you're not actually getting anything. You're just being told. Yeah. That's how I think. And I think... Yeah. No, no, I agree, and I think those moments, like again, the end of Family of Blood, you know, when the Doctor deals with the family in all those different ways, like you know, one gets uh, trapped in a black hole or whatever, one has to be a scarecrow for the rest of its life, one's always hiding in a mirror. It never implicitly tells, you know, they never implicitly tell you how he does that, how he has the means to do that. But I think that gives the Doctor even more of that mystery we were talking about—the fact he just can do these things and he does it without saying a word. And because he's angry, I think that adds the mystique and power to the Doctor that 13 doesn't have just yet. I'm hoping they implement more of that. But again, I think, I mean, basically, as you can probably tell from the last hour, I'm hinging a lot on Series 13 being, like, better written or more, like, in-depth than we've got so far. Like, that's not to say I haven't enjoyed Series 11 and 12 to an extent, but I do acknowledge, like, you know, they're not perfect. There are many problems. And I think I'm just hoping Series 13, whenever it comes out, will be will be better. Quite frankly. Well, yeah. How so. you feel? How you feel about Series 13 is how I felt waiting for Series 12. And yeah. when it disappointed me, that's when I gave up. I guess that's how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> that's hey, maybe after Season 13, I might give up too. Who knows? But I mean, it really depends when it comes out. Because I mean, with the world shutting down this year, everything's going to be delayed. So who knows when it's a you know eventually going to come but yeah but um but i think we're gonna start to wrap things up here um first of all man again thank you so so much for coming on it's been a real joy to talk and debate about this stuff i hope you've enjoyed it as well oh yeah absolutely thanks for having me i i did have a lot no. of fun oh good good man um do you want to shout out sort of like your channel any of your particular works or your social medias just so people can know where you are uh, sure. Yeah, you can. I mean, mainly follow me on YouTube. Uh, beware. Um, I really appreciate it if you check out the big video I just dropped the other day. It's episode mm -hmm. one of our season 11 rewrite. It's called Clear Skies. Um, I'm really proud of it. People seem to really like it. 
Uh, it's not vindictive or hateful towards the Jody era. We just kind of pretend it didn't happen. So um, even if yeah. you really love the Jody era, I'd recommend you check it out because it's still fun Doctor Who. And we're not getting yeah, that right it, now because of the quarantine. Yeah. It's just artistic interpretation, isn't it? Yeah, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have like the Shaka Doctor, right? And we also have Christopher Eccleston. Oh, yes. Both great, you know? D- don't forget the Rowan Atkinson Doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Who could forget? I'll explain later. <laughs> yeah, I'll explain. Just all of those doctors, bring them back. They're they're canon now. Like they're gonna be. You watch. Give it five more years. We'll have another dimensions in time where there'll be like random actors and oh, dimensions in time. I need another drink. Um, <laughs> nah, but that's great, man. I'll put some of your links to like your big video, especially. I'll put that in the description. There'll be cards and stuff throughout the video. Again, guys, go and check out Beware's channel. He makes some really great content, especially this big video. I'm going to listen to the whole episode. Say I listened to the first 10 minutes. Really enjoyed it. I'm going to listen to the rest. And yeah, just check out his stuff. Even if you know you agree, disagree, it's always good to get as many opinions as possible. But beware, man. Thank you so much for coming on today. Awesome. Thank you, man. No problem. And for all you listening, we will see you next time.